uh, uh, shlokas. So uh, I think, uh, uh, you know, the way that I would like to summarize is uh, not necessarily going through what we discussed in this group as such, but the chapter one itself as to how, um, how the Gita is structured. Basically, you know, I'm, I'm going to rely on what Swami Dayananda uh, talks about in his book, right? And he says that, you know, we, all of us, we have uh, 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 topical problems and then uh, uh, try to find solutions for the topical problems. That's like more like a band-aid band -aid approach. You know, there is one, one problem that happens, then we go fix that. There's another problem that happens, we go fix that. A third problem that happens, we go fix that. And he says that the, uh, these topical problems, they have one fundamental uh, problem. And because of the fundamental problem, these topical problems keep coming up. And he says the fundamental problem is what is a problem of ignorance, of not knowing who we are. And then he goes on and that's how he introduces that. Now, how does that match on to what Arjuna, uh, uh, Arjuna has uh, in the, the situation that he has in the battlefield? is that uh, Arjuna is the warrior who spent enormous amount of his time, almost uh, 14 plus years, uh, trying to uh, justify to himself, saying that the kingdom that was usurped by Kauravas from the Pandavas was rightfully theirs, and they have to go and fight the battle and win it back. And he goes to all lands, does lots of uh, you know uh, tapas and all that stuff to acquire all sorts of divine weapons, in the interest of fighting the war, okay? So his goal was to kill the Kauravas, get rid of all of them and get the kingdom what he wanted. But then when he goes into the battlefield, he sees uh, his loved ones, especially Bhishma and Drona, and he suddenly chickens out. And he chickens out because he now thinks that killing people like Bhishma and Drona is not going to be good for him. It's not going to be good for the society. It's not going to be good. What is the whole use of even killing those people uh, and acquiring the kingdom when he can't enjoy the kingdom with those with those people, right? Because they, they, they are not there. And that's the problem that he, he, he faces. And then this problem suddenly manifests um, itself at the body level and at the mental level. You know, his... Uh, uh, you know, he starts feeling uh, horripilation. He starts feeling, uh, you know, his legs and hands are not able to, uh, you know, uh, uh, stand straight like a warrior. He drops his Gandiva and all those things happen to him. And then also it starts expressing at a mental level where now he starts rationalizing as to why he should not fight the war. So think about this situation, you know, for 14, 15 years, somebody has said, I think this is the right thing for us to do. But then suddenly he finds in himself in a situation where he's actually going back against his own words and saying, no, we should not do this. Okay, now it happens to all of us as well. We keep justifying ourselves. And part of the reason why we justify ourselves is that we really don't see the situation clearly as to what needs to be done in a particular situation. So he goes on and gives a big lecture to Krishna saying that uh, if we uh, kill this, you know, all the family values will go away, the family values go away, then there'll be intermixture of uh, races and the intermixture of races happen. Then the, uh, uh, then, then uh, you know, uh, there's nobody to propagate uh, the, the dharma and all that. So basically, although we are coming to fight a war, which 
which we think is dharmic war it is actually not dharmic so he goes back 360 degrees saying that okay you know looks like uh, what i what we are doing right now is not the right thing to do and that's where he 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 you know he says i don't know what to do now and i'm going to surrender myself to you uh, krishna tell me what to do so all the while we discussed the you know the master orchestrator krishna not having said a single word uh, he was silently listening to the tirade of what was coming in the mental dialogue that was coming in from uh, arjuna and then krishna speaks and that's where we stopped uh, in the last one month of that we tried to formulate the problem statement uh, one thing i want to bring in here is that um, in understanding the problem statement of what arjuna was facing in the battlefield we were also trying to relate to our own life situations in the modern times and we did find that what was quote unquote revealed the at least 5500 years ago uh, in the battlefield for a warrior okay is that same problem statement is applicable to us whether the solution is applicable to us or not is something that we are going to see in future discussions that we are going to do but we have agreed that the problem statement is applicable to us the shades may be different but the fundamental problem statement that we are confused as to how to act in certain situations and then we think ourselves um, uh, uh, we see that you know there are certain attachments certain guilts that come in certain circumstances that drive us to take some decisions which may not be the right decision and that problem statement is applicable for us and we are going to figure it out how krishna solves the problem i hope i summarized it okay for you guys all right great so with that i think uh, the shlokas that we are going to discuss today uh, that we are going to uh, i'm just kind of going back to my uh, notes sorry okay. 11 2 12 12 13 is what we're going to discuss today and like this you know any one of you can pick the chat share your aha moments and we can discuss while let's step on to the other room I think this time it was clearly the fact that we comprehend and view life from three different levels: um, the physical, mental, and intellectual, and how the the conclusions that we draw are very different when we are viewing from these three levels. That that clearly stood out, and an example that they gave about how do you perceive um, a woman and the, the role of a mother, and you know, uh, and and yourself. You know, those, that example was very, very clear as to how the distinction is when you view it from three different levels. That 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 was very good for me. I think just before we go into the solution part, I just wanted to highlight that the last statement of Shloka Eight. Um, so what he's what Arjun leaves with is that even after winning the. you know the kingdom or even if i get the kingdom of the um of the devatas the heaven i don't see what will remove the grief that is what he leaves with and hence when you notice how krishna starts you know telling the solution he says don't grieve for or you know one should not so i thought that's actually quite uh, quite crucial to how he links to you know where he picks up the thread from so i thought i'll just highlight that before we go into 11 12 13 yeah so uh, i had a question here um 
I think uh, in the explanation, they talk about uh, physical, mind, and intellect. Uh, but for somehow for me, I thought emotion also has to be a very important part because grief is an emotion, right? So uh, where does this grief fall under? Um, it falls under mind. Okay. Under mind. Okay. So the emotion is the mind. Then the yeah. mind feels the emotion. Okay. I just wanted to uh, because in my mind I kept saying emotion, emotion, and then I heard uh, <laughs> I heard um, you know that oh the three levels are physical, mind, and uh, intellect. Okay. So the mind and the emotion are kind of uh, interchangeable. The mind is the emotional seat, and uh, oh, okay. okay. Rational seat. So not the heart then. I mean, we've been like so always in, thought. In Sanskrit, we use huh. mind and intellect and ego and chitta. So we don't use the word heart. Ah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. Heart may be the place where the mind is seated. So heart you may look at as a physical thing, whereas mind is more of an internal organ. Internal is meaning which cannot be seen by a doctor. Whatever oh. doctors can see is physical. So that means heart is physical. Ah. Okay. The, way, the way I understood it is it's like roughly all, all from the brain. So the mind, the intellect, the ego, the memories, the experiences. What you can call all very roughly in modern day medicine, we will say it's happening in the brain. But it's all just different aspects of the brain. One that reacts to it and one that thinks about it and one that recalls previous memories and so on. Oh. But, but very nice to keep reflecting on this because it will keep on repeating the same concept of mind, intellect, experience. And then once vasanas and gunas start coming in, where do they exist? Right? So... Uh, they, they keep coming over and over again. Go back that, to the introduction. Introduction, what uh, Swami Chinmayananda says. He draws a nice picture in there. He yep. says the sense organs, then the mind, then the intellect. And then, you know, that, that, picture, that picture is very, very important for us to understand how the whole structure is there. And there's one distinction what Alpana was saying, right? Uh, and what, what Krishna was also saying. Please do not make the mistake of uh, understanding the words mind, intellect, from the modern science uh, perspective. Uh, the modern science has a different definition for mind, okay? Whereas an intellect, and those definitions can confuse you if you go back to the Merriam-Webster uh, 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 dictionary and look at it. But the, the, uh, the scriptures have a very clear definition of mind and intellect that you can never get confused. Doesn't matter if you don't know the scriptures at all, okay? But the definition is so clear. Bundle of emotions is mind, period. Okay. Yeah. Decision making and in intellect, period. That's it. Yeah, the you know the mind is actually seated in the heart physically, is what I heard. And where we, we kind of refer to heart as a physical location is where mind is. Is that is that correct? Or it's immaterial. No, it is correct. It's not in the brain. When physically, no. the minute we say mind, we, we kind of associate it with the top of the head. Yeah, so we should not say mind, we should say mind. I love that. 
So this, so, is, this is more like a nervous network that connects to everything, but the mind is seated in the heart, but it's all over the body, actually. All over the body. I was about to say that because uh, uh, what I've also read is it's more around, think of it as it's all over the body, right? And with more, um, more of these um, concentrated around the heart, right? And, and, and probably a little bit around the brain, but it is around the body, right? In every, every cell for that matter. So is intellect in the brain then? No, that's no, also so all what, over the... Yeah, so one way of looking at it that was useful to me, I remember, is that, see, finally, how do we know the mind and intellect? Whatever these concepts are, right? You only know it through thoughts, right? You only know that your mind exists because there is thinking. And you, when there are thoughts, if, if you were to step back and observe the thoughts, you will see that there are some thoughts which are more emotional. Uh, and reactive and others that are, hey, are you doing the right thing? And is this the right thing to do? Or, you know, pick this over that and so on. But finally they are expressed as thoughts, right? Whether it's the type and it's just the type of thought, whether it's emotional or is it decision or is it uh, uh, from memory or is it from, um, yeah, it's basically around these, right? Or an imagination, which is, which could be um, something that has not happened but something that we are connecting things together and extrapolating, right? So these are the different types of thoughts. Actually, in, in, the, in the Yoga Sutras, they actually classify it into five different types of thoughts that can come in. And um, that's how we know the mind, right? So uh, the way I understand it is we classify it as some thoughts being emotional, some thoughts being decision-based, right? It's coming from, so the ones that are more decision-based, more intuitive, coming more from deeper inside, which is the, which is the intellect. So I think let's go back to what Shamala started with, right? In the context of what we discussed, if you go back and reflect on what Shamala said, how as to, you know, what the book was talking about, how we can see a, a, a person, a, a woman, a physical structure of a woman in three different ways, then I think it becomes a little bit more clearer. Maybe Shamala, you might, you might want to repeat what you said in the beginning of the GD. Yeah, the, the, the way we comprehend the world is actually coming from three different levels. And I think that that's the, the example and the way he explained was like very, very clear for me, or at least very interesting for me. Can you please repeat the example? Yeah, the example of how you see a person as a self, you know, just as a woman. And then it comes to how the relationship based and you know, that woman that that woman can be uh, my sister or a mother the emotional aspect when the when you apply over overlay how you see and finally ultimately it comes to just an uh, the, at the intellectual level he, he tries to say that these are all you know combination of cells and everything else right i mean that that's almost a nothing mess we can we can extrapolate too but then it starts with the physical then um, emotional and then intellectual I think that, that and that, that can pretty much be applied to anything else that we see around. And that's how the reactions start. In, in the same context, he says that even if there is something that I dislike, if I look at it intellectually, I might find it interesting. Yeah. So if you don't like the physical, then you go to the emotional. 
and try to like it at the emotional level. And then if you don't like it at the emotional level, you can go to the intellect level and like it. And but if you go beyond all three levels, that's when you uh, go, you know, it does not matter. You like everything. There is no hate then because you've gone beyond the three levels. But I really liked uh, what Alpana said about, you know, how from the Arjuna is saying, I am grief struck, how, uh, you know, among all this, like, we also, right, we try to speak so much, but, you know, there's only that one point which is very important. And, you know, he kind of just picked that right point. Uh, and then he started from there. And I thought that was a very good connection. Uh, <laughs> Alpana, you got out because I didn't think of that. But when you pointed it, I said, yeah, that's really nice. And that's why he starts with why grief? And then he's talking about where does grief come from? Like at the physical level, at the emotional level, at the intellect level. And if you can go beyond all these three, there is no grief. So I think that was a very, uh, um, obviously, these people are all learned people, right? So they've got the right, <laughs> they catch the right thing. But uh, yes, thank you. Very nice. I, I really like that. Uh, catching the grief and then the whole thing from the grief. I also like the other statement that they make that grief and dejection are the price that the delusion demands from its victim. That was a very nice statement. That, that, that was the statement uh -huh. that really uh, caught my eye. Yeah, it was very good. And then, and through that only we can understand ourselves. Like basically, if, if we totally understand ourselves, then there shouldn't be any grief or too much happiness. It's just uh, at a place where we are limitless, maybe boundless, <laughs> you know, come to that phase. You know, the interesting thing is, I think almost all of us have grown with this, right? We've grown up with the concept of reincarnation, body is immortal. Uh, and I'm looking at myself here, I'm at 50, but I'm still, it is all only uh, intellectual thought. It is not something that I have actually felt it. It's, it's not something that I feel like when I touch a candle it burns i take it off and i'm like oh my god i've burned you know where's the burn all what can i do let it put in ice so i'm wondering why are we not able to dissociate so quickly why is it taking us so long although we know this i mean I nothing new here but you know when the tire hits the road or you know the rubber hits the road you know we are back to the same same spot like the shloka itself says that because he says um, you're talking like knowledgeable people so that means you know it but you're still suffering so so the word he uses is uh, um, the interesting word pandit has become has taken such a negative connotation in this era but pandits were those who were actually enlightened who knew the self so the word used is actually Pandit for them. And then he says, you're talking like one, but so that means you know it, but you still don't know it. You're, you're making like oxymoron kind of statements. Right? So he says in exactly this, what you know, what you were describing, Chitra, that we know it somewhere, but we don't know it. And we don't react, we don't act 
act uh, on that basis. Yeah. It's the failure of the intellect. We know it, but we don't act as if that is, and we act as somebody else. I guess that's why we need these discussions to keep reminding us. It, it, it's also the, the vasanas at play, right? It's going to come up. I mean, those reasons will also be very clearly specified, but yeah. Because that was my aha moment. You know, when I read it, I said, hey, I already know all this, but I, I'm not able to put it to practice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just takes that one small prick and then that's it, you're back to where you started. <laughs> so I didn't want to put wipe that. Out. I thought, Yeah, you have to wipe out all those years of conditioning, you know, <laughs> <laughs> the way you've been doing it and starts like fresh. It's very hard to do that. It's easier to start from a clean slate, you know, when you have all these things in the back and to wipe them out and restart is really much harder. And then you'd be happy if it is if it is years it of is conditioning. Just, yeah. I thought it is millions of years. Millions. Millions yeah, of yeah millions for of me, years. I'm counting only 50. But uh, yeah, it's been like way beyond that, right? Yeah. <laughs> just one more thing. Uh, actually, there's a difference in the Hindi and the English version, a little bit how it is translated. And this is related to, you know, in this first shloka, he makes the statement about Bhishma and Drona. And it's not, it doesn't come out that clearly in the English one. I'll just read a Hindi statement from the Hindi Holy Gita. He says, Is yuddh mein vrityu ho jane par unko adhogati prapt nahi hogi. He is talking about Bhishma and Drona. ड internal antakaran and they are without uh, comparison and after death in this war even though they are fighting on the other side they will not go downwards so, so does adrogati mean going down yeah going into the lower species oh i see because i think we've been discussing a little bit about you know they were on the wrong side they were so learned why did they how did they this and that right but uh, at least uh, swami chinmayananda ji clearly says they were they knew clearly what they were doing and they had no confusion about it because they had such purified uh, antakaran that even if they die in this war they are not going to go you know downwards and the, in the english version it it sort of says something similar not using those terms but yeah. it does but it doesn't come out that clearly correct you have to read at least four five times to actually understand that so this is good when you said it in hindi yeah and so the inner equipments of both bhishma and drona allowed through them a glorious expression of the life principle or the soul in them yeah these great men were incomparable due to this divine shine that beamed out through them so yeah. so i had a i had a question alpana 
so I, even I read a commentary about uh, what you said that they had, they were on the side of dharma, right? Or they were following dharma and therefore there is no need to grieve for them. And so my sort of question that occurred to me at that time when I heard that or read that was, what about those who are not following the path of dharma? Is it okay to grieve for them? Because it seems to suggest that, you know, don't worry, these are all people of dharma and they have done good deeds and that they will get sadgati and all that good stuff, right? What about those who don't follow that? I don't think it is saying that you need to grieve, but I think uh, because Arjun had highlighted about Dron and Bhishma, that's why he took that as an example. If you're worrying about them, you don't need to worry even from that angle. He will right. kill them. Yeah, so I, I think that's what he's highlighting. But no, the the... The, the overarching umbrella of this is you do not grieve for anybody who's gone and who hasn't, right? So it doesn't specifically pick up those who are dharmic. I, I yeah. thought that the, uh, the reason he's saying that uh, you don't need to grieve for them or anyone is because the soul is eternal. Yeah. Correct. What is yes. there also an aspect of it is a result of their karma? So is it only the point here is only about the soul being eternal? In this in the shloka two point one two, I think which we, which we talk about, I think he talks only about uh, the atma being eternal. But he still does not. Arjuna probably still doesn't understand. But you know, if you remember what we discussed in the previous GDs, right? You know. Krishna gives this summary of the problem, uh, solution to the problem. And then Arjuna says, I don't understand, I don't understand. Then he goes on, reads to the next 17 chapters and then summarizes each one of them and then finally concludes in the last chapter. So here he's giving the, you know, the, the, the solution, saying that your problem is you're ignorant. you got to think in this way. This is who you truly are. That's what he's saying here in this. Yeah, he ends the he ends the commentary on the eleventh verse quite nicely, where he talks about that we look at things only from a physical, mental, and intellectual perspective, and and then he talks about the thrilling inspiration that comes from understanding the spiritual uh, aspect, which is uh, which is hard to kind of uh, sort of uh, internalize, uh, you know, as we were discussing earlier. But he really kind of summarizes summarizes the whole sort of idea of the eternal self quite nicely in the last paragraph, the second last paragraph of his commentary. So I think uh, with just one shloka, he's got out like quite a lot of things in here. You know, it's not just one thing, right? So he's talking about the eternal soul. He's talking about how we need to move away from our physical mind and intellect and start looking at things so, I mean, I'm just amazed at how just two lines uh, I mean, can be so packed. I mean, see, it's so dense. Uh, like, wow, is it, that's amazing. Uh, to and, be, and, all uh, us, and all of us, Chitra, have the benefit of having, you know, studied the Tattva Bodha, which talks okay. about so much detail. It's like, a, you know, it's probably a, sort of several sort of sessions that we've gone through it. And... Uh, it's only after that we kind of start to comprehend it, but you're absolutely right. It's just, just a simple shloka and it just packs a big, big punch. 
I know. I, I, I'm just like, when you're talking, I'm thinking, oh my God, not only this, but this, but this. I'm like, whoa, you know, I mean, and how many words, like five, six words to be able to convey so much. It's like amazing. Um, yeah. Actually, you know, uh, in sorry, go ahead. I, I just wanted to talk about, you know, uh, some, it's not related to this. I was just talking to my son and I was telling him, you know, um, I've, I've been born in this Indian soil, you know, my mother, my grandmother, all very religious people, you know, we were taught shlokas growing up. Every day we had to recite shlokas, you know, and you almost like, I think when it's forced down your throat, you kind of try to go away from it so much. Um, and then we were just discussing and he was saying, what, you're going for this Gita study, like Bible study, Amma, what's happened to you? <laughs> okay. uh, and then, you know, I told him, you know what, I think um, we tend to not appreciate what's closest to us. And that's a really um, uh, something um, like we tend to take our parents for granted, you know, until they're no more. And then we're like, oh, my God, you know, uh, so I think similarly, I think the Gita was kind of, I think, given to us. As, as children, I'm sure all of us grew up with this, uh, but we kind of didn't appreciate it till maybe, I don't know, I'm hoping we start appreciating it now. <laughs> so, sorry to digress, but I, it just came when my, we had a talk just yesterday about Bible study and Gita studies. <laughs> sorry, Krishna. Oh, no, no, uh, it was just uh, adding on to that. So in one of, I think, Swami Chinmayananda or Swami Parthasadis, Version, they say when great people speak, they do not build up and try to save a punchline for later. They they declare the truth. So like like Verily said, this is Anushtuk Chandra. So in 32 characters, two lines, he has said the whole truth. You cannot grieve for things that is not worth grieving for. Don't think about the living. Don't think about the dead. If we can just take the essence of that, then pretty much all problems are solved. But all of that comes only because of more interpretation, explanation of how our understanding are. So just uh, re-echoing the same same thing. How much power is packed in just two lines and he starts off with the, the main truth and everything else is only uh, explanation following that. Just wanted to share that. So, so Very true. well said. I'm assuming the rest is how do we get to this point? I mean, I have not read the Gita, so I don't know. <laughs> no, that's what I to say, Chitra. This is like an exact summary, right? It's an abstract. He, he just... Gives it there, and yeah, whoever understands this, understand it. Like Rajesh said, we go on asking why, why, why not, and that debate gets us to a lot much more detail. And I think we will understand that. That's it's also, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. no I, I was about to say that, uh, even in other, it seems like at that time, all these scriptures uh, had this format where the main point is given within the first four. Uh, like in the sutra format, apparently the main point or the entire thing is given in the first four right away. Uh, first four sutras, even in yoga sutras, it starts by defining what is yoga, right? Right there. The first, second uh, sutra just gives it to you. Second and third is done. After that, you can actually leave if you know uh, what that means. Uh, it, it, it seems to be in the same way uh, in most of it, right? Where they, that exact summary, as you pointed out, just contains the whole thing. So if somebody's able to understand it there, you're, you're done. You, you can leave. I mean, that's, that's it. But, but then for the rest of us, we start to peel the different layers of the onion after that. 
So I, I just want to add on that so to make sure that you know we are reinforcing this particular important uh, point, right? So I, I want to take the reference of Vishnu Sahasranama, right? So Vishnu Sahasranama also is exactly structured like that. So Yudhishthira first asks a few questions, okay? He has gone through a lot of details about what is Dharma, but then he still does not understand it, okay? And Yudhishthira doesn't understand it. Yudhishthira is supposed to be the embodiment of Dharma. And then he goes and he says uh, to, uh, to Bhishma, uh, he asks six questions. And then Bhishma summarizes those six questions first. Then he elaborates. And then the most important thing is, finally, he concludes with the benefits of chanting Vishnu Sahasranama. So what I'm saying is that each of, the, each of our scriptures, it's not that they give you theoretical knowledge. They give you the theoretical knowledge, summarize it, practic, practical knowledge. That is why it is yoga and Upanishad, like what Swamiji talks about in the chapter one summary, right? Upanishad is the theoretical part and the yoga is the practical part as to how you can do it. That's why Bhagavad Gita is the Upanishad as well as in yoga. And then there's also a benefit of it. The benefit in this case is you cannot, you cannot be grieving for anybody, living or dead. That's the reality. So suddenly all our problems get eliminated completely. And the same way chanting of Vishnu Sasranama also, it says, what are the benefits? If you are of this type of a person, what benefit? If you're seeking material wealth, what will you get? If you're seeking spiritual health, uh, spiritual wealth, what will you get? If you're seeking health, what will you get? It talks about the benefits in that much level of detail. Beautifully said, Rajesh. Thank you. Yeah. So Rajesh, if you don't mind, uh, I can share something uh, that uh, VP and I have been learning in our Sanskrit class and how uh, a sutra is defined. And it kind of talks about six qualities. Right? And this is to Krishna's kind of uh, point about you know it being nice and precise. So if the six properties are alpa aksharam, which means it should have the minimum number of syllables. It should not have one syllable, syllable which is extra or superfluous. The second is a sandhigdam. It should not have leave any doubt. There should not be any sandhigd. Uh, so there should be no scope for ambiguity. The third one is it should be saravat in the sense that it should be of value. It should not be uh, trivial or, uh, or frivolous. Uh, the fourth one is vishvato uh, bukham, which means that it should cover various uh, possibilities or the applicability should be diverse uh, situations. Uh, the fifth one is astobham, which means it should be free from any errors or inadequacies. And the last one is anavadyam, which means that the truth should be irrefutable. I'll, I'll post this on the group, but this is kind of at the core of the Sanskrit language where it is such a precise language. And the idea is that you need to make these perfect on all these six conditions to qualify to be a, a kind of a sutra. And that's kind of exactly what uh, you know Krishna has done, probably Vyasa has done, Vyasacharya, in his writing, that each of them is so precisely and correctly and error-free kind of in terms of how they are compiled. It's just, uh, just mind-boggling the way it's been done. Please Ajay, post it. Yeah, Ajay, uh, this... Um, I must also just add a, a, a wonderful points, by the way. I just want to add that um, the sutra format uh, is different from the um, sloka format in the Gita, right? The Gita is more like a song. Sutra would be, an example would be the Yoga Sutras, right? Where um, where, where there is no, um, what do you say? It, it, it is not like it's set to a meter or thing. So it is 
it is just those words, right? And uh, so the sutra format is very, it's like a compressed form of, uh, um, to help with recitation and, and memorization, right? And uh, uh, so when you learn the yoga sutras, it starts with this actually. Uh, in fact, um, Swami Guru Parananda goes through these six and explains why, what these things are and uh, the format. But in, in the Gita, the, uh, the concepts are repeated multiple times. And I'm just pointing it out. Just uh, uh, in the sutra, it doesn't. They don't uh, go back to the same thing. They don't reinforce it. Yeah, that's great. So um, um, I think I, I just want to take a segue and move on to the 2.12 shloka, right? One of the things that, that struck me here was the was the uh, statement that you know Swamiji writes here, where he says Krishna here declares in unequivocal terms that the embodied self in everyone is set on a great pilgrimage in which it comes to identify itself with varied forms temporarily to gain a limited but determined set of experiences. I loved it because at the end of the day, you know, he's he's bringing out a concept which says that each one of us. Uh, you know, we, we still don't know that we are that eternal soul, but we are we are embodied, that, that particular eternal soul has become embodied in this particular structure to gain a certain limited set of experiences that are already determined. Determ determined by whom is a different question. We'll talk about that later, but determined, and we have to go through that experience in our life. And I liked it pretty much. Yeah, that asserts that we have to go through this and we can't lament. We, you know, it's it's prescribed, and this is how it is. And and the 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 moment we accept that, um, there's a, there's a calmness, there's a stillness, um, to to you know our own being. So in that sense, Duryodhana also is just going through his own experience, right? So he's neither good nor I mean he's not bad. So then there's no grief for any because there's no bad then. <laughs> No, Chitra, but then that, that's a conundrum, right? You, we can define bad only when we define good. That's true. So there's no good nor bad then, huh? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm just looking at this thing because you're saying everyone is going through a limited but determined set of experiences. So then Duryodhana also is playing his part. His part is because if he was not there, then there was no Mahayudh, then there was the Gita wouldn't have existed. So. Uh, that's the right way of saying it. Each one of us is playing a part in this entire universe. Yes. Right. If you look at the shloka, uh, Krishna doesn't differentiate whether it is me or you, Arjun, or any of these people who are here, any of the kings. So he uses e equally for everybody in the actual shloka itself. So he's not differentiating. Everyone is the same. One interesting corollary in this one is uh, that it's trying to show that Atma is Nitya. Nitya is eternal. And anything which is eternal can only be one. Because if something is eternal, and if there is something which is different from that, then the eternality of this particular thing will be lost. So if I give you an example of... Uh, um, in fact, uh, Swami SPG uses a very good example, which I had posted, you know, thank God that cookie is not eternal. Otherwise, <laughs> you know, 
cookie will not melt and i will not get the taste so, so if there is anything which is eternal and if it is intercepted by anything else then the eternality will be lost so the cor biggest corollary of atma atma being nitya is that it is one so if you have two different atmas then neither of them can be eternal because then it this this the second atma is at some place and some time where the first one is not or intercepted so i thought that was very very powerful i, I think uh, albana uh, you know in the same context right basically the way that i understood which is a very very difficult concept to really get it right uh, to accept it also even is that you know i don't think at the fundamentally there is no difference in terms of who is the one who is experiencing this entire experiences that each one of us go through that one is just one it's just that that one is you know multiplied billions and billions and billions of times in different parts you know in in my in in the in the way in my body in your body in in a body of a snake or a lion or an elephant and they are, all of all of all of those individual experiences limited set of experiences is still being you know collated at only one entity that's the universe which means basically there's yeah, no difference that entity doesn't it is the difference is only in the bodies so the difference is only in the maya it's not in the atma so that one can never be it is i think the easier one to relate to is like space only we create these walls and we say that this is a room from the space outside but in reality you're not separating the space it's just giving a title to a particular area but it's not you you can never you know um, cut the space right so atma is even subtler than this hence it's even more vyapak but yeah no he also uses this word none of us are mere accidental happenings i think that that's also an important uh, thing i said including of course himself arjuna and everybody else we are obviously on this journey but definitely not accidental that's the purpose yeah, and I, uh, I, with I that, that he also sorry go ahead no no after you with that he also reiterates that it's not accidental and you have been there and i have been there all the time so it's like in in the same three shlokas he is trying to say the same thing in many ways that that we are all one one entity and so no lamentation don't worry about it and it just gives uh, so much peace yep so uh just moving forward a little bit uh, there is a big big discussion here right on theory of reincarnation and how different religions have quote unquote accepted the theory of reincarnation what did you guys make of it rajesh if i may before we move forward when you say that we have deterministic sure. set of experiences are we then saying that we don't have free will and i think we talked about that previously also right so i'm a little confused now whether we have free will or we don't have free will and if we don't have free will then how can we improve our lot in life by you know coming to vedanta classes and doing all this stuff great question i definitely think we have free will to change 
some some of those determine some of those deterministic experiences because when you say deterministic experiences if you're looking at it at a body level then those those deterministic experiences are already determined right but then after death once you go back that 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 mental construct which which wants some more experiences uh, when it comes back again you know that set of experiences can be determined by us again by the work by the work and acts what we will do to in this in this birth i so see a couple of hands raised yeah if, if i may yeah. go ahead sure uh, you know if i may add if we uh, actually the answer rights in this assumption itself if we assume that our what we go through currently is the result of what has happened in the past right if we apply the same thing for the future which means that the future is determined by what is happening today right what what we do today so it, it is the same theory basically if we assume that one is true about the past then the second is also true which means that the future is determined by what you do today yeah exactly means free will for what is happening today what has happened leading up to where you are today has uh, um, is not right that's already been determined but what can happen in the future it could be based on the free will that's happening today right so in that sense you have free will yes okay okay sure. <clears throat> thanks uh, i think the way there's a i'd like to I read a beautiful reference from ramana maharishi on the same question on free will and uh, so the example he gives is really it's like we are tied it's like a cow tied to a let's say a 10 10 feet string right and within the 10 feet it can do whatever it wants right it can browse it can sit it can stand um, it can do whatever within in, in within that 10 feet uh, 10 feet string and the, the the concept there is about how much responsibility the cow takes right how well it behaves within that stretch of the 10 10 feet, uh, 10 feet it has been given to and if it is running around you know biting people within the 10 feet then it it sometimes it becomes 8 feet or 2 feet but if the cow takes responsibility within the 10 feet then it can get extended to a 20 feet uh, string again it's given a larger role to play and then at some point it gets cut right so it basically it's given the freedom that's that's the concept he explains this free will uh, uh, it's a very, it's a very interesting concept something it's something ponder on you know it reveals itself when you ponder on this but again the key aspect of it is the responsibility that the, the soul takes individual soul takes given the freedom that has been given to and that determines how much where the liberation can happen that's how i understood it i loved it mukul thank you sakuba yeah so yeah i'm just going back to this uh, one uh, one uh, everything is one and you know single uh, uh, the atma is one brahman is one so uh, yeah i get it but also many times you know you don't get it also i know it is it's not a very easy uh, this thing like if if uh, you know the if there is only one atma and we are all just um, you know i mean it's just a manifestation of um, uh, uh, manifestation of that by way of uh, you know the 7 billion population and the um, you know animal trees and everything whatever it is so we Uh, you know when we hurt somebody or we get hurt by somebody so does it mean that you know the the net net equation is a zero equation right it's a it's we don't 
we you know there's only uh, there's only one this thing which which hurts itself like it's like in my left hand hurting the right hand and uh, um, or or my uh, i mean I, i feel happy or feel sad uh, based on uh, but but the net net it is zero is it like that <laughs> not say net net is zero as long as we are identifying with somebody else like you know in the body and mind yeah those things happen like i think somebody used an example right you go touch the fire it obviously burns so when when you are when you are in that when we identify ourselves as that particular thing at that point of time it will happen you will have to go through those experiences net net i don't think it is zero it net net is irrelevant can i say something which i understand please go ahead mahesh yeah uh satya as i like calling you rather than sakuba uh, uh, you see when in the level of consciousness and in the level of body mind there are two levels that means for example a man becomes a husband when he is married so here a becoming has happened now a husband is troubled because he has become a husband to satisfy his wife had he not become a husband i mean that means he is free you see understand see the consciousness level and the individual level is like that the consciousness has become an individual and that is why he is suffering once he has become an individual he is trying to prove that he is husband now i have become a man so i am trying to prove that i am a man okay in the level of consciousness there is no husband there is no wife but in the level of a man he becomes husband he becomes a father and that is the roles one has to play similarly the free will you know in the level of consciousness i mean everything it's his own will but as a man he has got a limited free will because he has become a man and that free will has to be used in the level of consciousness so that he can get free himself as a man or an husband or a wife or anything else this is my understanding beautifully said mm-hmm. i am just hoping that the husband and wife are replaceable there right yes it is just an example <laughs> buku uh, yes sakuba i think the struggle you you are expressing right i i it's a, one of the big big uh, kind of concepts to grasp at least uh, for me also personally i had a long struggle with that with that idea but what helped me is the 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 word uh, one versus oneness i really conceptually understand it more like a oneness uh, oneness is a is a feeling it's not like one like counting 1 2 3 4 5 like you no know, you are the body but you you feel the oneness you no know, you you know that your feet is part of you even though distinctly it's a different characteristic so i understand uh, another interpretation of that word is oneness so i relate with that lot more better uh, so it's a feeling that it's a unified whole when you express that you know you, even though you have eyes two eyes nose but you know you are it's a oneness at that, that experience So when you experience that oneness with the cosmos then you are experiencing that state of advaita or whatever they call that so i i i relate to the word oneness a little better uh, help me to understand that concept that just wanted to share that beautiful yeah thank Sweet. you i think that makes it more clear yeah, yeah i would like to uh, add on to the same thing it's uh, the oneness actually makes me relate to that better i also get confused when we say all we all one obviously we are not one we in the maya that we have we all have our own form and we don't experience other person's pain and so on but the 
the analogy I've seen somewhere in, uh, I think it's one of us in Manandas or somebody's is, it's like electricity, right? Electricity is common everywhere, but we're all individual bulbs. But the same electricity is the one that animates us and activates us. So we all have the same electricity going on through us, but we are individual bulbs. Like oh, I'm a zero watt bulb or somebody has a thousand watt bulb. But how much of we shine is the that sh shine depends on the same life uh, common one force that goes through us. But we all have our own manifestations depending on our own limitations. Nice. Kishore? No, just to, uh, uh, yeah, Swami Paramatananda uses the bulb electricity analogy, actually, to, uh, uh, to give this uh, or to explain this. But I, I'm also curious, um, just switching topics here, there was um, about the Atman itself. I'm wondering how, how many of you actually saw this or read, read about this for the first time. And, um, and I'm curious how, um, you know, how you took this, right? And uh, how are you interpreting it and how are you uh, understanding it? So I'm, I'm a little curious about that for, for people who have, um, who were, who encountered this for the very first time. So, so it was more like a question. I can start. When I first read it, I was terribly, terribly shell-shocked. Same here. And I, I, I was shocked in the sense I, I, I was left with, oh, wait a minute, this is it? Um, that was the feeling. Um, but I, I'm, I'm curious if others felt the same way. It took me... When we uh, first read this, uh, I was trying to grasp it mentally, how internally, externally, you know, all these concepts were coming out. And I was trying to make it mentally how this Atma could be, you know? And uh, somewhere I asked in ISKCON, and they said, if you split a hair, a top of the hair by a million pieces, that is the size of the soul. You know, I was trying to imagine you know, I mean, how the soul could be uh, the size and how it can charge the body and all other things, you know. So, I mean, it was conceptually, it was so difficult to grasp until uh, last month, somebody said, uh, I was reading somewhere not to comprehend at all. You know, so that is uh, again uh, shocking. It is not just understanding the soul; it is also not to comprehend it. It, uh, it is also a shocking. You know, that is how it was. Yeah. Yeah. To me, when uh, I, I read it many times before, but it didn't sink in, and I was probably like uh, Satya or Sakuba, that uh, you know, how many. Is there a weight, you know, tit for tat or, you know, but I think with the Tattva Bodha and understanding who self is, that has totally disappeared. It's, I don't know how it disappeared and how fast it disappeared. That amazes me. Um, but understanding this to the core of what consciousness is, what you are, what self is, it's just reinforcing um, um, the concept of, you know, we are that part of light as, as light bulb and electricity as people have given um, example of that. Um, that just, just makes me feel like, did this happen? <laughs> it's like that question comes, how did it happen? And uh, why it happened so fast? Um, and for so long when, when the intellect was not there to understand it, uh, I was in this vicious circle of, you know, questioning, again questioning and saying, oh, I know that, and again questioning 
And again, saying, oh, I know that. But I think, I, I think understanding who you are um, just opened up many, like it just opened up as if sky is the limit kind of a thing. So I don't know what, how else to express, but it's just uh, amazing. I, I, I'm actually uh, with you. I'm going to uh, rephrase what you said in a in a in a slightly different way, so that you know we sure. we can step back and understand this. So when we understand that, then it opens up everything. But when we don't understand that, it restricts us. It bounds okay. us in whichever Correct. way it is. Correct. That's the yeah. most important point for us to understand it, because um, you know at the end of the day, what we're trying to do, as in, in even coming here to discuss this together, read these things, and all that, is that we feel bounded somehow as individuals, right? We feel bounded. Whatever fashion, we may be able to express it in, if you're eloquent, we may not be able to express it if we are not. It doesn't matter. But there is that sense saying that I am bound somehow, okay? Bound physically or uh, emotionally or intellectually. I don't know this. I, I, I know only this. Something, something. Those are the limitations that we as individuals experience. And we are trying to go towards, you know, limitlessness by doing one thing at a time. Say, so, oh, I don't know science, I'm going to learn science. I don't know investing, I'm going to learn investing. I don't know option trading, I'm going to learn option trading. Okay, they keep doing one at a time. But then there's something else, something else, something else. So at the end of the day, our goal in our, in our entire life seems to be to experience that limitlessness, that freedom, that happiness, right? But we seem to be uh, behaving contrarily to that. And we've got to figure out how to switch. That's the switch. Very well said. Yeah, that's interesting, Rajesh. What helped me was thinking of yourself as the awareness. Yeah. And awareness is limitless. Because in your awareness, you can think about anything. You can go to the end of the galaxy or even universe or even to the other universes anywhere. There is no limit to it. And when you start thinking like that and then start experiencing that every experience is within that awareness, just completely will blow you open. Think yeah. of yourself as just the awareness. And that's where I was a little hesitant about these examples that we are the bulb. We are not the bulb. Yes, there are a lot of bulbs, but all these bulbs are in our awareness. And hence that, that awareness is single. Whether you call it a bulb, a small bulb, a big bulb, again in your awareness and the moment you start thinking of yourself as this awareness you can experience that limitlessness that's that's one example you know i can think of yeah alpana that's so beautiful every time you reiterate that it just sinks in more <laughs> so one that's really beautiful alpana yeah no in terms of the awareness alpana i mean um, one thing that did um, uh, kind of help me is in fact, it's also mentioned by Swamiji in a very nice uh, example, which is that of um, the fact that, you know, without the riverbed being static, you cannot see the flow of the water, right? Or yet another example I've seen is, um, you know, the clock face, right? So without the clock face being static, you don't know the passage of time, right? It's only in relation to something static, a substratum that is static, that we know what is changing. Now, if we apply that to our own lives, right? Um, when we were when we were young, we we knew ourselves as I was I was young, and this is mentioned in the book as well. Uh, you know, we were we know our the times when we were a, uh, we were a child, and then the youth, and then and so on. So 
but there was something there that was static right the the fact that i was a child i was uh, a man in my middle age and so on there was something that remained constant what is that something if you if you try to investigate try to experience that it obviously cannot be explained but it's more like uh, if you start to go and to that level you start to understand that's consciousness right so because it's harder to explain but what was that something that was there as an observer of childhood youth and later on um and that is that substratum that we need uh, uh, that is being mentioned as atma right so it is useful to also think along those lines and there are some really beautiful examples there thank you kishor krishna oh um just reflecting on that point like all of you summarize it so well about the the consciousness the atman i think our goal is for us to kind of keep this in mind continuously right like so we 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 take this at face value and then we uh, believe it for a quick maybe a microsecond or a millisecond oh i am that awareness that is infinite and so on but then the next moment we we just come back to oh i'm just having like this normal discussion back back to earth moment uh, so so the i think that that's the uh, the goal right like to constantly be in that state is that right that is right that's right that's yeah yeah but it's also very hard right and that's where i think yep. if you relate it to the the yoga side which is the practical aspects of it right and i mean if we look at this as theory what the upanishads say and state very clearly and um, without doubt and then how do we now see it and see it for ourselves which would be then the practical side i think when we go uh, when when we meditate and go beyond these layers you start to feel that right and then you uh, you kind of connect both of these things and say and the and the dots are connected in some ways right so um to me having the theory and the practical which is through it uh, in some ways through meditation eventually leads us to a better understanding that is that leads us to having this um not just during meditation but at all times right but but until uh, to me it connects uh together when the theory and practical aspects reinforce each other and then it leads us leads to that uh, point where it's there all, at all times so i had a question um as krishna said uh, you know it, it has to be practiced every minute um if you of uh, you can give us um information like kishore you said through meditation through yoga and uh, constantly first understanding during meditation how to get into that place and then taking it beyond if uh, those who have experienced it more can give how their niyam is or their um, way of living is to attain that like you gave yours if others can give theirs then probably some of us who are trying now can start using it uh, uh, uh vidya is it okay if we park that question for maybe a later yeah. time because Absolutely. for two reasons number one that's going to take couple of hours at least to discuss okay number number two we have only 10 minutes and i want to make sure that you know we cover what we are uh, but but that's a no great problem. question it, it, it's a great question and rest assured uh, I, i think the path is there the road map is also very clear 
Um, I, but it's a wonderful question. I think we need to we need to answer it at some point. Sure, I agree with Rajesh. Uh, Ten minutes is not enough. Okay, no problem. Maybe what we will do is uh, in the next GD we can start by uh, uh, you know disc uh, discussing that particular question for some time and then get on to the next uh, next uh, thing. Uh, Shlokas. Thank you. Okay. Um, any any more aha moments from the book from the pages that we have read that that we have not yet covered so far. I think one was uh, that uh, um, it appears that when we change the body, it must be a painful process. It's actually not. It is, you know, I think that's a general conception of just the thought comes to our mind. And I think that is being reflected that when the Atma changes the body, um, I'm just trying to read my notes. Um, there is no effort required on part of the Atma to change the bodies because it is the subtle body that changes the gross bodies. So, so, so I think, um, I don't know whether that thought came to anybody or not, but that, you know, yes, you are saying that, um, you know, when we move from childhood to adulthood to the other, that transition is quite seamless and it's not painful. We just we just go through it, but when we think about death and getting a new body, it appears to be a painful experience, right? That we don't want to die, but it is not the case because the change is happening at the subtle body. The atma is not impacted by that. So I thought I'll just highlight that that point. Yeah, and and Alpana, that's that's well said because one corollary that that personally I have experienced because of that this particular understanding is that, you know. Uh, Although it's it's still at a at an intellectual level, death seems like a quote unquote a big event. I think the fear of death itself seems to have gone off. I think fear of our own death has gone off. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I'm still not sure I can say that. Yeah, that I, know. I agree with I, you. Then, I mean, you need to go back and think about you know ashochya, nanvashochya, some pragyavajas, vadas, say. But at this point of time, fear of our own death, at least my own death, I think I have. Correct. It's it's shaken off for me. Correct. So, Alpana, you know, I think we saw an article, maybe you sent it in the smaller group or here, where very vividly it describes about death and, you know, how painful that process is and so on, you know. And painful it's painful to the subtle body because subtle body has attachments. <clears throat> I think so what I was trying to say was uh, just to clarify before yeah, you go further that the transition for the so the Atma is is not hurtful for the subtle body it may be because it is attached right it is attached to the current uh, circumstances current yeah. relations etc etc itself you know it is at all different levels so when we say that it is a seamless one it's a pain-free one i'm not sure whether these two statements are sitting together or i'm understanding it incorrectly so what i'm saying at the at the atma level it is seamless yes that's what we need to understand because even because it's there body, yeah at the subtle body we do have when we you know I'll again bring the example. Before marriage, I think a lot of people go through a lot of, you know, turmoil in their mind. So it is, 
even though we want it yet there are, there are apprehensions in the mind so even there the subtle body will play a role or will will say about you know any of the transitions it's not easy we don't ex accept very easily that we are growing older that's at the subtle body level but at the atma level it is seamless throughout what kishore was trying to explain there was one person who was unchanged during this process it was unaffected you know not impacted by the change is what i would say chitra uh, i'm sorry uh, maybe everyone else understands but i don't know what do you mean by subtle body so if you can just step back a bit and so we or maybe have... you want to do it in a different time that's fine too. No, very, I think we can do that. Alp Alpana, you want to clarify that? Very briefly, the the gross body is what doctors can see. Any even internal parts, if they can dissect and see, that is our gross body. But what Rajesh was referring to, the emotional body, the you know the uh, the mind, the intellect, the breathing, which doctors cannot see. Only we have to tell. We experience it, but so there is an internal body within us which only we can experience. Externally, nobody can experience it. externally people only see our physical body so that's the subtle body subtle body is the one which travels after death and so subtle body subtle body is the one that we are talking about the mind and the intellect i'm sorry to Correct. kind of it's part of that okay okay so i thought only the atma travels and nothing else travels i'm sorry yeah. so no, uh, no 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 chitra chitra let me let me interrupt you here you are right atma travels but you know see the word one word will have multiple meanings in different contexts so please at this point of time just assume let's park it okay as we go through in the next oh, couple okay. of shlokas you know krishna actually clarifies what exactly he means okay so for the moment let's just assume that the atma travels let's assume that so regarding uh, 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 death right there was this um, wonderful uh, uh, you know it was uh, mentioned in swami bhumananda tirtha's one of his books he said uh, even um, even a child you know knows that uh, they don't want to they uh, you know every creature uh, knows they don't want to die even an ant tries to avoid or a fly tries to avoid when you try to swat it right so where does that come from where does that fear or the the feeling of i don't want to die come from right so he talks about the fact that since this um there has been an experience uh, that has happened before and that's carried forward to this birth right so having died earlier the subtle body knows that it was painful and that is carried over to this subtle body into this new physical body and hence that memory of the previous death is there and hence be everyone instinctively knows that i don't want to die right so that feeling is kind of ingrained in 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 us and uh, and it's so powerful that you know there is that fear right and this knowledge removes that fear and that fear is finally it's just thought in our mind and it's it's going to um it's a layer that's going to constantly be there so the knowledge removes that fear which is the same as saying the knowledge removes that ignorance because um, but uh, but he talks about how it's so powerful and he was also saying that as an example of or a proof of rein reincarnation right the fact that how do we otherwise know to protect ourselves and 
uh, not to die, right? Where, where does that strong feeling come from? It's only because you have experienced it in the past, right? So that's how he relates it. Yeah, I think uh, we're just just about time to uh, conclude our uh, GD today. Uh, I think, uh, Kishore, what you mentioned was also the last point that I wanted to, I had noted in my thing, where he okay. talks about the law of memory. Swami Chinmayananda talks about it. The experiencer and the memorizer should be the same to recognize the experience. He gives that example, <clears throat> saying that if it's a different person, you know, uh, who has experienced it and different person who has memorized it, then you cannot you cannot explain that experience to somebody. So that way, you know, I think uh, uh, that that's a beautiful uh, uh, that's a beautiful point. Now, the law of memory, I really liked it too. So with that, we kind of you know coming to seven seven twenty nine. Um, maybe you know we have Venu joining in silently today. Venu, you have thirty seconds or forty five seconds to just share. You know, what did you think about this uh, GD today? We'll give you only thirty seconds. Thank you, man. Thanks, first of all. Because Ajay Gupta reminded me there are six conditions to speech. I could say three letters, O-H-T. <laughs> but but um, I will borrow from Shyamala. I came in uh, for physical interaction. I, I got a little bit of the emotional. Maybe I'll get intellectual at some future stage. All right. Well summarized GD today, I would say. <laughs> all right. So with that, I think uh, we can all chant together the uh, uh, the Shanti Mantra and then uh, uh, close off our GD session today. Uh, uh, before we do that, uh, for the next GD, I think we will look at uh, two shlokas, not three, because three is going to get very difficult in my view, given we, we probably will have to go back and also we will have to cover the question uh, that uh, Vidya asked. So we will do one, uh, one four and one five, 2.14 and 2.15 together. Okay. Ajay, I'm sorry to interrupt. Can yes, we also go into this memory and thing that you just mentioned at the last, in the next yeah, GD? Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yes. Yes. We'll do that. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we can chant Asatoma Sadgama. Asatoma Sadgama. Tamasoma Jyotir Kamaya Mrutyurma Mrutangamaya Om Shanti 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 Hari Sarve jana sukhino bhavantu Om Tatsat Thank you so much everyone. Have a blessed day and stay safe and we will catch up next weekend. Uh, one announcement next weekend, I'm not here, I'm traveling, I'm on the road. So please continue and make sure that uh, Kishore, please record it and post it so I want to listen to it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye.